0: down but will two more go and should they donors putting pressure on some of the biggest names in education after a consequential hearing in the house so who really is in control right now plus are we about to see a case involving donald trump hit the supreme court the special counsel jack smith has made a new request of them why the biden campaign might not want you to see some brand new polling what it shows and what it could mean as well for nikki haley and our fighter pilots about to cash in a look at the big time offer now coming their way from the u.s military thanks for being with us here on the hill i'm blake berman joined today by jonathan Cott, former communications director and senior advisor to senator joe manchin julia manchester of course the national political reporter for the hill dan cannon former obama campaign official and fort o'connell Former Trump campaign surrogate. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, hello. Happy Monday. Take a look at that building right there. Beautiful sunset on this Monday, by the way. Uh, that, of course, the U.S. Capitol. You know, we often hear from folks both sides of the political aisle complain that. Little gets done in that building. Lawmakers oftentimes focusing on things that don't really matter. You might even remember this viral moment from a few weeks back when a Republican congressman ranted
1: at his own colleagues. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. One thing. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing.
0: Well, did it just happen? Over the weekend, the head of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, resigned from her post after this line of questioning from Chip Roy's colleague, the Republican Congresswoman from New York, Elise Stefanik.
2: Specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or
3: pervasive, it is harassment.
2: So the answer is yes. This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill.
0: Hello to you all. Nice to have you in here on a Monday afternoon. You know, I was thinking about that that Chip Roy uh, moment from from over the weekend. I, I just, I don't know, Ford, like when you think about What Republicans in Congress have done. I go back to John McCain doing this to Obamacare. And is that the biggest moment since then? I mean, you got a university president resigning because of that, that back and forth.
1: Well, I have to give a hat tip to Elise Stefanik, okay? But this is not just about firing one president or replacing one college president. This is, has the potential to be a watershed moment because more needs to be done about tackling anti-Semitism in America. Remember, college campuses have lost their focus. They are no longer about institutions of higher learning. They are about political indoctrination and social engineering. Case in point, one in five college students think the Holocaust was a myth. That right there tells you that college campuses have lost well, the war. I don't think you say that point blank, though that they're there for social engineering. What else did you say? No, social engineering. That is what we talk about. We talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are not teaching young adults how to get ahead in the workforce. They are teaching young adults what to think. And that is a big problem. And remember, 62% of the anti-Israel protests in this country take place on college campuses.
4: I think the events since October 7th have really uncovered and revealed how deep anti-Semitism runs, not only in this country, but around the world. Remember, we see this here hearing take place. You see the consequences of this hearing with the president of Penn stepping down, the other presidents of MIT and Harvard really facing that pressure. But at the same time, you're also seeing global organizations like the United Nations, which has repeatedly faced uh, accusations of anti-Semitism for not calling out the sexual assaults and sexual crimes against Israeli women during the October 7th attack. So I think we're seeing a moment when you're seeing anti-Semitism being called out by Institutions, Not only in this country, but around the world.
5: Democrats, you ready to give kudos to Elise Stefanik? No, that, that should happen. We should call it anti-Semitism. And the answers, I think, were indefensible. But Chip Roy was arguing that the Congress has not passed bills affecting the American people. And this Congress, under the Republicans in the House is historically unproductive. Only 37% you, of the bills they put on the floor, Blake, have passed.
0: 37%. That's like a good so baseball part of, play. So that's part of the question, right? Do you have to pass bills to enact change? Because clearly, Elise Stefanik has enacted change. We've seen it at UPenn, and now there's questions about two other university presidents. I don't presidents. think that, that, that getting in—this is a viral moment. Chip Roy, was,
5: Chip Roy was a viral moment. This moment with Elise Stefanik was a viral moment. Matt Gates has had a ton of viral moments. They don't need more viral moments. They need to actually pass legislation that helps Americans on energy, on costs—
6: on on all sorts of things yeah i applaud stefanik for actually getting something done that i think was relevant and will have an impact as a jew who grew up in new york city i'm shocked at the rate that we've seen anti-semitism and violence especially on college campuses so kudos to her for doing that but that's not actually her job her job is to legislate she's in leadership if this is the biggest moment of Elise Stefanik's career, it is a failed career. Um,
1: but I would agree with wait, Chip Roy, which is not something i Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on, hold the phone for a second. She <laughs> just got the president of the University of Pennsylvania fired, okay? She got $100 million revoked from the University of Pennsylvania. you got to realize this you're, is... You're a Republican
6: saying that the government no. should tell what private institutions yeah. should do this is a shocking moment well, they take federal funding republicans they take federal, they now, take federal now want funding. republicans now want the government To tell private institutions how they should run themselves? What I'm telling you is private institutions
1: take federal funding, so they do have purview over it. And what is going on when it comes to anti-Semitism on college campuses? Democrats are not stepping up on this issue because there is a rift in their own party over this issue. And it's basically been left to Republicans to deal with it. Let me ask you, any of you see Saturday Night Live? You see, how you saw it all this weekend. Yeah.
4: I was surprised they went there. They they that. went there.
0: Roll the and really, it's it's a question of what they went after and Sorry. what the there is. Roll the clip.
4: MIT lady, chance to steal. And keep in mind, if you don't say yes, you're going to make me look good, which is really
3: really hard to do. So I'll ask you straight up: Do you think genocide is bad? <laughs> Could I submit an answer in writing at a later date? Am I winning this hearing?
1: (laughs)
2: Somebody pinch me.
0: (laughs) The Anti-Defamation League described that as atrocious because they didn't go after the college presidents. They went after Elise Stefanik.
6: Yeah, that's the wrong punchline. The punchline is the college presidents who couldn't answer a simple question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's embarrassing, and it's embarrassing for the writers of SNL. They should have known what the actual punchline was. They did a little bit of that. that. That whole answer submitted
5: in writing later, that was kind of getting at the idea they can't answer a simple question. But I agree with you. That they missed the mark. Uh, I
1: mean, SNL usually uses its platform to bring out the biggest societal issues. On this one, they missed the mark for an opening segment. I'd argue it was their worst opening segment in the last 10 years. And frankly, SNL hasn't been funny since Eddie Murphy. If he retired so, so, let me ask you, so they chose to go
0: after Elise Stefanik. She has been mentioned as a vice presidential possible right. running mate for Donald Trump, of course, we're operating in the theoretical world that, that he's going to be the nominee all, all polling points to that. It, did she just move up up the totem
4: pole? Certainly. And I think for a while she's been talked about. Look, if we talk about Elise Stefanik and sort of her track record throughout Congress and before she was elevated to Republican leadership, Elise Stefanik made a major helped make a major improvement in the number of Republican women serving in Congress with EPAC. She's very respected in that regard among Republican circles. Now there's obviously pushback when it comes to, you know, how far she's leaned toward Trump. Some people accusing her of leaning too far far in that direction, um, you know, from when she was more moderate. But I think she's certainly someone to watch.
1: Where does she stand? I think she. Every everything is open for Donald Trump. He's going to be our party nominee, and he's <laughs> on the to, vice presidency yes. or everything. <laughs> no, on the vice presidency. <laughs> okay. It's going to be about two things. It's going to be how well can you drive a message. And what kind of loyalty can you give to him? And the reason why I say that is because Kamala Harris has been so bad at driving a message, and half the time the Biden administration has to hide her. He needs someone who can be out there and be the face of the administration when he is not the front man. All
0: right, joining us now uh, to discuss uh, more is Dan Senor, former foreign policy advisor in the George W. Bush administration. He is also the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, The Genius of Israel. He also has his MBA from harvard university dan good to have you on back don't here it against uh, me well I, I i well maybe i will maybe i won't i don't know I'll, I'll i'll leave it open to you uh what do you make what do you make first off of, of what we saw over the weekend
7: i wasn't surprised by it i uh was last week predicting that uh, president mcgill would be uh relieving herself of her responsibilities by the weekend I just think that she and other leaders of universities, not only the ones that were testifying before Congress last week, have put themselves in an impossible situation, in which, and it's not just them in fairness. There's been this, call it bureaucratic ideological rot that's been growing underneath and sort of rooted in, in a number of these academic institutions where they're extremely selective and extremely explicit about what is protected speech and what is not on college campuses, which groups should be should be protected from being uh, intimidated, harassed, bullied, and which ones shouldn't. And it seems that the one group that should not be protected from any of the new designated groups or, or designated language were Jews. That's what we've learned since October 7th. In fact, the signs were there before October 7th. But the signs since October 7th were pretty terrifying. I say this as a Jew. Uh, with many friends who have kids on college campuses today who are genuinely worried about being a publicly identifying Jew on these campuses. And so they've just gotten themselves in this impossible situation. And the leader stepping down is just one step.
0: Yeah, let me ask you, uh, the Harvard Alumni Association Executive Committee expressed its unanimous support for Harvard President Claudine Gay today and asked the university's governing boards to publicly back Gay in a letter that was sent uh, today, She, of course, was at that hearing with the uh, UPenn president and the MIT president. Um, you now have Harvard's governing board, more than 650 faculty urge against gay's removal. So you've got you've got some forces there at your alma mater saying we should keep her. Should she stay in
7: that yeah. role? Yeah, I, I do not think her position is I mean, given the position she's taken, I do not think her position is tenable. Keep in mind, after October 7th, when one would have thought the outrage after October 7th would have been directed at the organization Hamas that was slaughtering Jews. That's where the outrage should have been directed. And in, in, in actually, in effect, in many places, including on Harvard's campus, the outrage was being directed against Jews for objecting to being slaughtered. And when you had all these student groups put out an atrocious statement that blamed Israel and the Jews for this massacre of October 7th, President Gay said nothing. Days went by. Days went by. She said nothing. Eventually, she weighed in. But each her language between October 7th and when she weighed in, and her language at that hearing, I just think is unsustainable to lead an institution where groups feel under siege. And I think the pressure is going to continue, and there's a range of stakeholders who are weighing in on this.
0: Dan, can you stay by for a second? Uh, because, you know, one of the questions, and I want to bring the panel in, but hang on for a minute if you can. Uh, Bill Ackman, who is... A, obviously, legendary investor. He sent a letter uh, to the head of Harvard saying, quote, knowing what we know now, would Harvard consider Claudine Gay for the position? The answer is definitively no. Can we pull up the Elise Stefanik statement for a second also? She said one down, two to go. This is only the very beginning of addressing the pervasive rot of anti-Semitism that has destroyed the most prestigious higher education institutions in America. Harvard and MIT do the right thing. The world is watching. You've got Harvard staff, faculty standing by uh, Claudine Gay. Yet you've got a sitting member of Congress, say go. You've got a donor, say go. Who gets to call the shots here? Uh, the donors will call the shots. At the yeah, end okay. of the That's, t- is that
6: the reality? At the end of the day, if the donors cut off the funding, she's gone. There's no there's no question about that. The faculty can stand by her all they want. So you think
0: it's the $100 million at Penn that was the final
6: straw?
4: Yeah. And there was pressure from donors before this testimony, at least at Penn. But
1: the question, though, is: Is Claudine Gay really the problem, or is what the faculty is pushing at Harvard in terms of what I was talking about? Dan was calling it political rot. I was calling it political indoctrination. Same idea. This is a much bigger thing than anti-Semitism, even though anti-Semitism is the biggest racial problem in America. There's a whole way of thinking, and the question is: They all three have to go because that message has to be sent. The Harvard faculty doesn't think she did anything
7: wrong, and backing her up because they're afraid they'll be next. Dan, I'll give you a final word before we run. It, I think people are f- fixating too much on should it be this group? Should the professors have a voice? Should the donors have a voice? Should politicians have a voice? I think that's the wrong question. The right question is, where's the leadership? Where's hmm. the leadership? Unfortunately, President Gay did not show tremendous leadership following October 7th. I, I don't know enough about her record before October 7th, but since October 7th, she didn't show real leadership. So other Stakeholders are stepping in. It doesn't matter which stakeholders. It's a question of do people agree that she's shown the proper leadership, and that's the question. I think many people are unsatisfied with the answer. At other universities, some leaders have stepped up and shown real leadership, like the University of Michigan in recent weeks. We just haven't seen it at Harvard.
0: Dan Senor, see how I have you in there with the panel. This is like your third or fourth time now, friend of the show. We can call you, huh? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Me, thanks, like Dan. We hope you come, come on. All right, we'll send it to you in the mail. Dan Senor, author of The Genius of Israel. Dan, thank you. All right, meantime, coming up. Could the stakes get any higher than this question right here? Is the former president, Donald Trump, immune from federal prosecution? The special counsel, Jack Smith, has now asked the Supreme Court to weigh in. So who has the upper hand in the argument? Will the high court even take up the case? Jesse Weber, May Mailman, joining us on the other side of the break. Plus, politics and pigskin here's how you know it's gotten really bad for the new england patriots and bill belichick the presidential candidates in new hampshire are now saying "Eh, there's a pats game maybe we'll go campaign that's coming up and don't forget by the way you can listen to us here on the hill on sirius xm weeknights six o'clock eastern five o'clock central uh on channel 124 on sirius xm after the tv we go to the radio the hill coming back in a few stay with us All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So the special counsel, Jack Smith, is now turning to the Supreme Court in his case against the former president, Donald Trump. He's asking the high court to weigh in on whether Trump has presidential immunity from prosecution for his efforts to try to overturn the 2020 presidential election while he was the commander in chief. The filing saying, in part, quote, this case represents a fundamental question at the heart of our democracy. Whether a former president is absolutely immune from federal prosecution for crimes committed while in office or is constitutionally protected from federal prosecution when he has been impeached but not convicted before the criminal proceedings begin. Now the request here is an attempt to preserve the trial's potential March 4th start date. Joining us now, former Trump White House attorney May Mailman and News Nation legal contributor Jesse Weber. Hello to you both. Uh, nice to see you both here on a uh, on a Monday afternoon. I guess l- l- I want to start here just sort of a yes-no, May. Jesse, does the Supreme Court take this up?
1: They May don't I'll, have to, I'll let May go they? first.
0: <laughs> so
2: I say they don't, but if they do, huh. they leave enough questions that the lower court is going to have to go down and answer them. So the Supreme Court is not going to... Try and insert itself too much here is
8: my guess. I don't want to be contrarian, but I disagree. I think they're going to take it up. I think that this is one of those big issues that the Supreme Court waits for. It's not unprecedented that they're going to jump you know, in front of the appeals court and take an issue. Bush v. Gore, that was a big issue that immediately happened during that election. They jumped in. The Nixon tapes, they immediately jumped in. Deciding whether or not the President of the United States should be held criminally liable for actions that they were taken in office is one of those issues that I think every Supreme Court justice would want to weigh in on one way or another. I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to put their hat in the ring on this
1: Ford Republican. And I think Ford, eventually you, take attorney, it. Think? The, I, the Supreme Court's not going to take this. Up. Okay. All right. It, so that's why, because it's a novel legal argument that Jack Smith is putting.
0: Okay. All right. Interesting. I saw Ford shaking his head, uh, nodding along with May. So just wanted to get that in May um, as, as you might've done way back in the day, defend the president and, and on this, if you were his legal team, you would argue what and, and Jesse, I'll, I'll get you to be Jack Smith after her.
2: Well, what they're asking for is not just a pellet review. So Trump has asked for a pellet review, and he'll get that. And Jack Smith has asked for an expedited briefing there, and he might get that. But in order to jump the Court of Appeals and go to the Supreme Court, you've got to give a really good reason, not just why the case is important. So the brief says why this case is important and i agree with jack smith but jack smith never says why they need to hear it now why because it's so embarrassing to say out loud it's we want to put this guy in jail before the election i mean when you say it out loud it sounds like election interference so instead they kind of skirt around it and say justice requires the public interest requires a speedy trial For me, that's not good enough. Don't tell me why the case is important. Tell me why the Supreme Court needs to take it right now. And I think that that differentiates itself from a lot of other cases that had specific dates where you needed specific things, answers to happen. This is just we want Trump in jail before the election. I don't know. Jesse, I'll
0: get your I'll get your hold on, Jesse. I'll I'll get your argument in a second. But to the Democrats here is you, you would say what to May? I I hope the
6: Supreme Court takes it up. I don't have a lot of faith in the Supreme Court, but voters should have an answer to whether Donald Trump is basically a domestic terrorist before they go to the polls. You need to. You need to. You need to. This case needs to be heard, he needs to be tried, and we need to have a decision before the election. Quick, we'll I, I agree in. with that, and my, my question
5: for, for the lawyers is, is this like an original jurisdiction situation? Because some of the justices on that court, in where, where there's multiple states involved and you can skip the appellate court and go right to the Supreme Court, do believe that the Supreme Court has an obligation to take up original jurisdiction-type cases. I wonder if that's going to play in, in
0: Jesse's favor in terms so of Je- So Jesse, answer that if you can, and then we'll sort of what the argument for, for Jack Smith would be if, if you were in issues.
8: No, I definitely think that's a consideration uh, that comes in to this. I think that, you know, I agree with May, timing is the real issue here, right? But from a practical reality, is he wrong to be suggesting that this is why they need to hear it now? Because if it if doesn't go to the Supreme Court now and it goes through the natural appeals process, there is a very strong likelihood we will not see a March trial date. There's a strong likelihood we will not even see this trial happening before the election. And look, Jack Smith's point is, you want to agree with it or not, is that this is such an important fundamental issue that it needs to be heard now because, of course, the practical reality is this trial may never ultimately happen if Donald Trump becomes the president again. And it's not just concerning Donald Trump. It's concerning every president down the line. And it's an important question and one that I hope we never have again about if someone com- breaks the law while in office, can they be held criminally liable? I think that's an important right. question, whether it's a Republican yeah. or Democrat.
0: It's a, it's a great point because if he's president, he'll, he'll be the 47th president at some point there'll be a 147th and a, you know, 547th and whatever wow. this, this ruling is, you know, we unless, all hope, unless right? Unless AI <laughs> kills us all, which is a whole separate <laughs> issue, but you know, yeah. we'll deal No, but the day. point is at some point down the line, this could come back around and you're right. It, it, Even though Trump's at the center of it right now, uh, it it could have big consequences down the line. Jesse, thank you very much. May stick around real quick uh, because I want to get your thoughts on this. A pregnant woman from Texas who sought court permission for an abortion has now left the state of Texas to obtain the procedure. Her lawyers say that Kate Cox's health is on the line. They are not saying where she has gone. According to her doctors, the 31-year-old mother has a condition which carries a very high likelihood of miscarriage or stillbirth, and that carrying the child to full term could jeopardize her ability to potentially have children down the line. Now, her case has become a lightning rod after the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, fought her request for a medical exception to the state's near-total abortion ban. Uh, May, Julia, come on in. Dan, Jonathan, hang out too. Uh, But May, I want to start with you. Because we've already seen the Biden campaign jump on this uh, this case, it's gaining a lot of attention, a lot of headlines. Where do you think Donald Trump will come, come down on this and, and the Republican Party and, and a lot of these presidential candidates uh, across the board?
2: Well, Trump's line is always, you've got to have the exceptions. And so I expect that Trump will say here that this should have been allowed under a medical exemption, something like that. You know it's an easy thing to say but being pro-life is tough just like being pro-choice is tough there's going to be difficult calls about what it means to you know protect the health of the mother does that mean mental health does that mean the baby's going to be stillborn and and you know that that's not good for for your emotional health like there there are so many questions that it's hard to answer on the pro-life side there are a lot of questions that it's hard to answer on the pro-choice side. But you know that Democrats
0: it- mayor Democrats mayor are are going to jump on this. The Biden campaign is is already doing it, and and we've seen the polling numbers and what it's and 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 what it's led to uh, in elections across this country. Yeah. So you
2: know. Republicans are they're they're stuck between not wanting to run on abortion and trying to be silent on it, which I think the RNC chair, Ronna McDaniel, has said you can't do that. You have to take these front on. And if you can't defend publicly your lack of exception for this, then you can't have it. Right. So you have to be able to speak about abortion out loud and you have to be able to defend it. And that is, I think, different than what Republicans have been doing, which is let's run on the economy. You can't just run on the economy. You also have to address abortion. If you can't defend your policy, then
0: you can't have your policy. Julia, we're already seeing the Biden campaign run on
4: this. And I think that's politically smart because, you know, in 2023 during the off-year elections and 2022 during the midterms, you saw Democrats point to Republicans, even Republicans who are running away from the issue of abortion and say they want to take away your right to have an abortion, period. Not even talking about the exceptions. Now Democrats can point to this and say, oh, if you think this can happen in Texas, this could happen anywhere.
1: Joe, Joe Biden is in the worst approval position of any modern president at this point in time. The Democrats only have two plays going forward. One is abortion, 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 and the other one in Trump is a dictator. He's losing in all the battleground states. This is the one of only two plays Democrats. This case will soon be legally moot, but the Democrats will try it again in ballot initiatives in Florida and South Dakota.
5: Before the Virginia elections and the Kentucky elections, we heard folks talk about the Republican need to moderate on this issue, and they can sort of thread the needle here. But you elected a speaker who is for a total ban on abortion. You have an attorney general in Texas who chose to pursue... This woman in court after a judge granted her estate when she's got a, a, a fetus that will be stillborn. People will see what they're doing because they are doing it actively. And Trump keeps saying, I did this with Roe. They own this. All right.
0: May Mailman, um, I think we see you see here in studio later this week. Is that right? Tomorrow and tomorrow. Wednesday and yeah. All right. We'll catch you then. Safe travels. May, thank you. Well, coming up uh, before then, five weeks from tonight, we will know who won the Iowa caucuses. But do we actually already have that answer? Or simply put, is the race over? The panel breaks down the new numbers. Have you seen them on the other side of the break? And with President Biden struggling in national polls, there's one GOP candidate who could beat him by 17 in a hypothetical matchup. And it's not Trump. We'll get into it. The Hill, back in a few. don't you know we are just five weeks away from the all-important Iowa caucuses and the former president Donald Trump his lead over his GOP rivals is growing still a new poll from the Des Moines Register shows him up by 32 points over the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis Nikki Haley running right there as well now when uh, caucus goers were asked if they've made up their mind 49 percent say they have compared to 46 percent say who say basically they, they could still be persuaded but 70% 70% of Trump supporters say their mind is made up. That is more than
1: double that of Haley and DeSantis. Is this over? It's pretty much almost game set match. He has okay. a commanding lead and he's only getting stronger in the key states. Why style, won't
0: you say yes? You say pretty much. Because it's a caucus. Anything. Okay. can No, I'm not, I'm not questioning. I'm curious. No, I <laughs>
1: give you a, I give him a 98% chance. Okay. Here's why Trump's going to win Iowa. He lost it in 2016 and he knows that if he wins Iowa right now all the money dries up from Haley and from DeSantis because one thing I do know about GOP donors—they may not be on the same page as the grassroots, but they believe in ROI, return on investment—and Haley's campaign will pretty much be over. You shocked? This this is still growing. Later. Yeah, no, I'm not shocked at all. But I think the key stat was the fact that 70% of Trump supporters in the Iowa caucus are going to stick with him, and here's why: Everyone's going to say, "Oh, Nikki Haley's a better candidate this, that, the, the other basically Republican primary voters believe that Donald Trump has unfinished business, and they're going to ride and die with Donald Trump because they believe he'll get the economy back on the right track, and he'll fix the border.
0: So you're going to Iowa, Julia? Or I this am. Is, or,
4: okay, so there's still a thing there. <laughs> there's still a thing okay. there. Yeah, but at the same time, the question I was asking, people I was actually on the phone with Ford today, asking Republican operatives and strategists today was, what do you do if you're Haley and DeSantis? Because DeSantis has put all of his eggs in the Iowa basket. He has um, built really an impressive ground operation in Iowa between his campaign and his super PAC, Never Back Down. Haley is running a $10 million ad buy in Iowa and New Hampshire. She also has the backing of the Koch network, Americans for Prosperity. But we're not seeing that for either of them really pay dividends. So I don't really know what else the two of them can do to really close that gap. There's only five weeks left. I guess there could be a Rick Santorum moment. But when Rick Santorum was running in 2012, we didn't have someone running like Donald Trump so far. And I
0: know you're a Trump backer, but if you got paid all the money in the world to answer Julia's question, what would you do? I tell him it's
1: over because you want to <laughs> take the money? I no, I, Julie asked me this question. It's very simple. You continue to build out your ground game in Iowa because a caucus is very different than a primary. You've got to continue to have people moving. I think the turnout in that caucus will be somewhere around 200,000, and that's what you're going to try to close the gap. Yeah, Go well, for it.
6: This race has been over for nine months. You just think n- so? N- yes. None of these yes. candidates actually were trying to beat Donald Trump. They were hoping Donald Trump somehow would either get thrown off the ticket or not run they're or st- be in prison.
0: They're still in a way hoping yes, that something happens all, on the legal all they're firm.
6: hoping. You watch them campaign, you see them in debates. They are not campaigning against a guy who's 50 points up because they know they're not going to win and they had no shot at it Ever the second he announced, this party is not a Republican party; it is a Trump party. He was the nominee. That's it. The only person that has made an attempt is Chris Christie. God bless him. I like him. That's probably the worst news he can get that a Democrat thinks he's doing a good job. <laughs> I'll sneak <you> in here <laughs> real quick. Well, I, I think on this numbers, if you give Trump his 70 percent
5: and you give Haley and DeSantis 100 percent of what they got, and you and you give them, you let them double it, Trump still wins. This right. thing is over, and they won't take him on.
0: All right, now turning now to something that hasn't happened in over two decades. Presidential candidates right now are considering campaigning in New England during Patriots games. That was once unthinkable, especially when 12 was there, to, to plan an event uh, in New Hampshire at the same time as a game. The team now is so bad that some campaigns say it is no longer off limits. As Politico put it, instead of speaking to voters in New Hampshire, candidates used to use game to game time rather to do national media hits or call donors in other states but now the Patriots are just plain bad. You say this would not happen
5: in Wisconsin. No chance. I don't <laughs> care if the, if the Packers were 0-16. You're not doing anything
1: on a Sunday in that state. state. I'm gonna come in as the former Patriot t- season ticket holder. Okay, I'm just going to, and someone who's also lived in the Grand State. I will tell you, for two decades, the New England Patriots, because they won six Super Bowls, were godlike on Sunday afternoons yeah. in the fall. Unfortunately, a three-and-ten record, <laughs> even if Bill Belichick is your coach, makes people say, "I'm gonna wait till next season." That's an opening I, that, that does not
0: make. I found reasons. it fascinating that they used to make call use that for like the other stuff, and now they're like, huh,
6: "Okay." That's playing. We can campaign. As a Jets fan, I am so happy the Patriots are so bad (laughs) that you can
0: now campaign. All right. Now, new polling shows uh, that the current president just might have an uphill climb to what you could call the Super Bowl of politics. A new poll from The Wall Street Journal shows President Biden trailing former President Trump by four in a hypothetical head to head matchup. And if Trump isn't the nominee, that poll shows him tied with Ron DeSantis, but trailing Nikki Haley by an astounding. Would you look at that? 17 points. Now drilling down further with some new CNN polling, President Biden trails Trump by five in Georgia, ten in Michigan, crucial swing states that the president won in 2020. Dan, Jonathan, spin, go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, we're a year out. There you go. Okay. I think there has yeah. been
6: voter fatigue and. People have not been paying attention to how awful Donald Trump was. I do think when a billion dollars in ads get spent between April and November, voters will remember that. Voters will remember what Joe Biden did for the auto industry in, in Detroit and Michigan. They'll remember why he won in Georgia. Also, keep in mind, in Georgia, all the local news leading up to the election will be about Donald Trump's case to steal the election in Georgia. It's very hard to get by on local news coverage when that's all they're doing. You can put in national ads, but every day when they open the paper, if, that's... If the I would have told you, see. too,
0: though, if I would have told both of you that Trump was up 10 in Georgia, you would have told me I was nuts. Yeah.
5: Right? Well, yeah. Maybe, but, but, you know, back in 2016, I've said this before, when, when Trump had the, had the worst moment after the Access Hollywood tape, and everyone's like, It's over. I remember looking to our team in the Clinton headquarters and saying, if he just stops talking now for 10 days, we're in trouble. I think part of the appeal here is he's not really out there in the way he often is. Now this dictator stuff is kind of coming back up, and we'll see what that does to the polling. But on the world stage, Blake, leaders in France, Germany, Canada, they're all in the 20s or low 30s in approval
0: because there is a global recession or global inflation. So so Biden versus Trump policies. Uh, This is a Wall Street Journal poll. Did they help or did they hurt? Uh, Donald Trump, plus 12. Half of the country says it, it, it helped him. Look at President Biden's numbers. Only 23% of the country says it has helped them. I hear you on, on auto industry, on world leaders, and on down the line, but that says it, does but, it
5: not? No. Well, here's the difference, though. When you when you put it in that context of Biden and Trump and the current guy and the former guy when, when people are not happy with the world right now, you're going to get that answer. For the last
1: two years, t- two-thirds of the people in the Wall Street Journal poll say the economy has not gotten better. Two things to take away from here. One, Joe Biden's in the worst position polling in, in terms of approval of any president of the modern era, and Donald Trump is in the best polling position he ever been, not just in 2024, in 2016, and if the election were held today, he'd get 301 electoral votes. That said, what the Democrats are going to try to do is pull a little magic trick here. They're going to try to raise a billion dollars and basically say this is no longer about who the best candidate is, but who the worst candidate is, and therefore the voters need to vote for less bad. Wrap this up here. <laughs> <laughs> Looking
4: at those numbers, you know, working on the Haley DeSantis stuff that I covered, I was very interested in Haley um, having a 17-point lead yeah, that's over remarkable, Biden. Huh? Where are year out, but that's remarkable. But then you have the Iowa poll, which isn't good news. All right.
0: Well, coming up, lawmakers say they want transparency, right? Transparency. We love it. Give it to us. That's what we need. That's what the country deserves. So why did efforts to make our knowledge about UFOs more transparent get totally stripped out of a defense bill? One of the original whistleblowers, David Grush, is on Elizabeth Vargas reports tonight. We'll speak with Elizabeth on the other side of the break. And be sure to check out Our new weekly newsletter, Decision Desk 24, that guy right there, his campaign view. You can subscribe with the QR code on your screen. Get out the phone, take a pic. It is a slice of our show in your inbox. We'll be right back here on The Hill. Stay with us. We're learning that the military is having to offer some serious bonuses just to keep fighter pilots on the job. The Air Force is offering pilots up to $50,000 per year for 12 years. Add it up, that could be $600,000 in total extra compensation through a program that is known as the Aviator Retention Incentive. The military has missed its recruiting target for pilots uh, for eight consecutive years, Jonathan, and and you were saying you thought that's a pretty simple uh, risk-reward
6: calculation. Yeah, it's a simple thing. They could make a ton of money doing a job using their skills that they've honed in the military— not getting shot at and not fighting in what I think a lot of people think are stupid endless wars. Also, we should be paying them more to begin with, so I'm glad they're getting this bonus. But I think a lot of people are just sick and tired of going into endless wars and don't want to be part
4: of it. I think this could be the start of an experiment we see across the military, maybe, because military recruitment isn't only down for the Air Force. We're seeing it down um, among other branches. We're just not seeing the same type of enthusiasm of wanting to join the armed services. So I'm curious to see how this translates into the other branches
0: military recruiting shortages 2023 since you bring it up the army short 10,000 soldiers Mm. that's uh 15 percent air force short 20 uh about 2,800 airmen down 10 percent navy short about 7,500 sailors 20 percent two-fifths of the department branches uh, met their recruiting goals the other two the marine corps and the space force
1: well, and the only one that has made their goals are the United States Marines. And I, I, but I think there's something bigger going on here. Right now is the, twi- is the 50th anniversary of our all-volunteer all force, okay? And while there has been this situation of worrying about institutions and military, there's something else that's going on. Among people under 30 years old, they think the only way to success is to have a college degree. That's why college debt has gone there. And therefore, a lot of high school guidance counselors are not telling people about the opportunities that they have in the military where there's leadership. Let's talk about debt reduction. You want the quickest way to kill your student debt? Join the Army. And people don't know about these benefits, and now they've been taught in our society the only way to succeed you, is to go to college. But
0: you also think it's because a
1: lot of these pilots can go to... oh, They can you, go to FedEx, know. they can go to UPS, they can go anywhere, but that does not... And it mean, goes to what Jonathan was, but, was saying in part. But that does not explain why you're down in the Army and Navy as well. Remember, they spend seven and a half years training those pilots right. in, in the Air Force, and they put seven and a half million dollars or more into personally training them. They have a big asset. there. But this is a bigger... Problem. By the way, it's rough Bonus programs, uh,
0: Dan, are not new. It's the fact of 12 years at 50K. You multiply that out down the line, and then they're trying to get, you know, sign these pilots up at, at 600K a pop, and that's the headline.
5: Well, sure. And, and I think at the low end, these bonuses could be like 15K, and an average pilot's yeah. making like 120, 130,000 bucks a year, so it's maybe 10%, 15% of their pay. It's it's a lot, but I mean, I'd way rather see them get this than defense contractors who are making a ton of money
0: on war. All right. Uh, meantime, lawmakers are fighting their own battle. Transparency about UAPs or unidentified anomalous phenomena. A UAP amendment was included in the fir, uh, final rather, National Defense Authorization Act. That's that is what funds the military. They, they do it every year here in Washington. But two House Republicans are primarily responsible for stripping key provisions from the final bill. Elizabeth Vargas, come on in. Nice to see you uh, in Alabama last week. We hung out in person. Yeah, we
3: got to hang out in person. It was great. Now we're back in we, we, our we, respective cities.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we chat every day, so it was cool to cool to hang out in person. Uh, you've got David Grush on we do. tonight, of course, the whistleblower. I, I, I'm curious um, what he. You, you, you spoke to him already, right?
3: Yes, I just pre-taped an interview with him like moments ago. I literally yeah, just what sat down you? and put my microphone on with you guys. <laughs> uh, he's very upset that the defense bill's been watered down. Uh, he feels that, uh, first of all, it's a matter of public record, the two uh, Republican um, congressmen who helped water that bill down are both taking a lot of money from de- big mm. defense companies like Lockheed Martin, um, which is rumored to actually have some of the remains of one of these crashed alien aircraft.
0: You know, Elizabeth, I think that's why so many people are like, hmm, there's, there's something there. Like, I don't know if there's something there, but yeah. but when you get stories... Like, like this, I, I think that partly where the suspicion continues to rise. Well, he raises, so. he, he
3: raises the point uh, that we heard Congressman Moskowitz make from Florida, who said, you know, I really wasn't so sure about this. But when I started asking questions, I got such furious pushback. And every time we found a thread and started to follow it, people were slamming doors and saying, "You can't look here." That that alone is what has him convinced that there's something there. We have a, a, a clip, a quick clip from the Grush interview. Um, I'm not sure what the clip says, but we can take a look at it, <laughs> look at it really quick if you'd like.
6: Now that the panel is not um, uh, signed into public law on the legislative branch side, I mean, we need to advocate for. The executive branch, you know, the office of the president through executive action um, to instate su- such a body uh, to advise him on the best course of action now that, you know, Congress has failed to legislate appropriately. And um, I'm here to, you know, praise and admonish. I mean, certainly the Senate, um, thank you for proposing that legislation. I'm glad you got some provisions passed. But uh, folks in the House, I mean, a, a total failure.
3: Yeah, not mincing words there, right? And he's calling, he actually ended the interview by saying, we're going to be airing part of it tonight and part of it tomorrow night. Uh, by saying everybody should look up on, their, uh, on the list who, which congressmen opposed this in, in hmm. November. Next November, go vote them all out of office. So he's really, wow. he's really steamed that uh, this has been watered down uh, to such an extent. And by the way, Blake, remember yeah. in his congressional testimony, all these congressmen kept saying, asking him questions, and he kept saying, I can't tell you because it's classified, mm-hmm. but I'd happy to tell you and show you in a skiff, the skiff, right? He has yeah. yet to go into the skiff. Huh. Uh, has yet to be given authorization to share what he knows, he says, uh, the class wow. information with members of Congress. So he's very upset about that as well.
0: All right, got to run. We'll see you in five minutes. Okay. Thank you, Elizabeth, and we'll be right back.
3: Fifteen years ago, police discovered the body of Casey Anthony's daughter. Today, Kaylee would be 18. All this week on Banfield, family, friends, jurors, and a bombshell revelation in the trial that captured America. All this week on Banfield.
0: On them during the break. I don't know. Once you start scrubbing transparency measures, back to the UAP stuff. That's when people are like, I was talking about it with Elizabeth. They're like, Hmm. Yeah.
6: People, you know, when when you don't want something to come out, people question why. I'm not some like conspiracy theorist
0: <laughs> or anything, but I'm just saying, once you start doing that, that's that riles folks up, and rightfully so. I don't know. Got to leave it there. Thank you all. Fun show. We'll be back.